What lovely stories to hear. I wish we could go on all day listening to those stories. Each of you in some way probably has one uh, out there. And um, we want to hear them. We want to hear them. Don't be shy about how the Lord has been at work in your life this year. One of the ways the Lord wants to solidify the joy uh, of Him inside of you is by sharing what it is that He has done. That's one of the ways that He works uh, so marvelously in our lives. Is He, well, He doubles our joy, doesn't He, when we share it with one another. And so you may not do it in a setting like this, but I, I encourage you in your home fellowship groups, in your in your supper clubs, in your men's and women's Bible studies, taking one another out for coffee and times or meals that you might have in your home. Share the stories of what the Lord has done and give thanks in the assembly of His people. You know, it's such a joy to see you all, and it's a little harder to see you. The lights are brighter here than they are at uh, Cornerstones. It's a little little harder to see you, but I can, I can see you. I can see your... Your smiling faces, do you like the comfortable seats? <laughs> yes. Don't get used to those comfortable seats. You know what I, I missed is when you sat down a minute ago and nothing creaked. <laughs> like it was awfully, it was eerily quiet uh, hearing you. We have a wonderful passage of Scripture before us today. James chapter 1, if you'll look with me in your your bulletin, James chapter 1, just two verses. I've been pondering this uh, text a bit this week. It's a lovely text, and it fits with the themes of what Butch and Peggy and, and Joe have shared with us this morning, the fact that there are certain things that are very easy to give thanks to the Lord for, and there are other things that are very difficult to give thanks to the Lord for. And you heard several today uh, difficulties and challenges that you see that the Lord brought about in their life and threw them into our lives. Incredible reason to give thanks. And I think you see that today in this wonderful text that James gives us, James 1, 16 through 18. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Word here. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every Perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, we believe that. We believe that your word will stand forever. Yes, the grass withers. Yes, the flower fades. We've already seen that. It's fall into winter here. And yet your word is as alive. It is as powerful. It is as vibrant as it's ever been. And today, though we have changed locations from the corner of church and third to here at Battleground Academy, this word doesn't ever change with regards to its power and its strength. You are speaking to us from it today. And every soul that's here, 
you have something to speak directly into their lives. And we would pray that you would do it. We would pray that that hound of heaven, that wind of the Holy Spirit now would come. And would it would wash in and through our lives and our souls today. And that we would be changed. We would be renewed. And we would find ourselves freshly alive in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and meet us now, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A little church I grew up in in Laurel, Mississippi, uh, really on the Sunday, I don't know if it was the Sunday before or it was the Sunday after, but we would regularly uh, sing Thanksgiving hymns. And there's an old gospel hymn that I can't help but remember this time of year. You probably sang it, or at least some of you did, Count Your Many Blessings. You know the hymn? Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Yes, count your many blessings, see what God hath done. I hope you do that. I hope that's a regular part of your discipline and practice to go around in your own life, maybe around in your family and count your many blessings. We at the Sheridan household have a, have a bit of a tradition during uh, November to uh, count our blessings as we gather around the table for dinners in the evening. We have these little construction paper leaves, fall leaves of yellow and red and orange that we write on, uh, things that we give thanks for. We have this construction paper trunk that is on the, the wall of our home and we Fill it full of leaves, fall leaves with many blessings. Some of your names are on those blessings. This Cornerstone family is listed on the leaves. In fact, Luke, Luke, my Luke, noticed one day as he was looking at, at leaves, he said, he says, Dad, you've wrote Cornerstone on two of the leaves. So you're doubly thankful for Cornerstone, but you've only written the family on one of the leaves. So... <laughs> Don't know what to make of that exactly, other than, yes, he was right. I wrote you twice on the leaves. Now, what's interesting is some of the things that we do when we recount those blessings and we name them one by one, they're the same kind of blessings in many cases that we name year after year. And what I've realized is there are certain things that we we have no trouble naming. Like it's very easy for us to name. That's going to come to the top of our minds and our hearts every single year. And there are certain things that never get named. There are certain things we would never ever think of giving thanks for. Baby, you know this. I mean, I've been very thankful, for instance, for heat. Because it's been so cold here in Middle Tennessee the last couple of weeks. I'm so grateful for my furnace but you know that if my furnace went out and the temperature started plummeting within my house I would not be thankful for that I'm very thankful as many of you are thankful for gainful employment you're thankful for the resources that come through the jobs that the Lord has given you but when you lose a job do you give thanks for that loss of job when you feel the belt a tightening, as some of us in this room have felt the belt tightening this year. Have you given thanks to the Lord for that? 
Have you given thanks to the Lord for your health, such as it is? Well, likely, if it's been good. But when you receive that terrible diagnosis, when you have that mystery pain and suffering that can be, can be assuaged, do you give the Lord thanks for that? Last night, as we were around the table, I said, I'm not just going to let you give thanks for anything tonight. You're going to have to give thanks for something you don't like. Something that you're actually right now not thankful for. And we had to name different things. Things like having to do the dishes, right? I had to give thanks for a knee. A knee that gives me trouble. Gives me a little more trouble in the winter, it seems. We begin to give thanks for the things that we don't give thanks for. Even things that, quite frankly, we're not very thankful for. But then we ask the question, why do you think the Lord is giving you that well, that swelling knee. What does, he, what does he have in store for it? What does, why does the Lord give you dirty dishes to work and to labor in? What is he maybe after? What is it that you can trace his hand in with regards to the pains and the sufferings and the difficulties, even the mundane things to the most difficult things? Where do you see him at work as we should, we give thanks for the things that are, well, wonderful things, but we don't give thanks for those things, do we? We grumble and complain about those things. In fact, in some cases, we don't just grumble and complain, do we? We start doubting. We start doubting God. We start wondering about His goodness. We, we start questioning whether He's really for us. We, we look at certain areas of our lives that we have tried over and over and over over the course of this year, maybe in previous years, to see change. And these things just don't seem to be changing. And maybe even this morning you feel even a little bit nauseous by the fact that we're talking so much about Thanksgiving. You hear stories of people's lives who have been changed through tragedy. And you're sitting in the midst of that tragedy. And you can't experience the fullness of that thanksgiving. You're like, that's great for them. You know what that does? That just reemphasizes the fact that God doesn't do that stuff for me. For some of us, we all want to roll our eyes during the time of thanksgiving. Because all we feel is distance and silence. All we can think of are the prayers that were unanswered rather than the ones that were. No, you're not totally giving up on the faith. You're here after all. You're holding on. You've not given up completely. But you can't really say that you're trusting the Lord. Not in the way that He's called you to. You're a little bit like the man in Mark chapter 9. The man who brought his, his son, who was demon-possessed, to Jesus. Many others had tried to help, but no one could help but Jesus says, all things are possible with me. All things are possible for those who believe. Do you believe? And the man says, I believe. Help my unbelief. If that's you, then you're in good company this morning. I can tell you there are those around you that that's exactly where they are. Their story is very much in process. And their soul is not... In despair, it's not in thanksgiving, but it's in the midst of losing and waning hope. 
It's putting one foot in front of the other. It's a plotter mentality about hoping against things that you don't feel and experience. You know, that really is the Jewish Christians that James is writing to right here in James chapter 1. They've been ousted from their homeland. They're dealing with poverty and oppression. They're receiving persecution from those who are around them for naming the name of Christ. This is their new normal. And even as their devastating situation persists and even escalates, these newly converted Jewish Christians, well, they're questioning and they're they're doubting. And they're beginning to draw false conclusions. They're beginning to have deep wondering about the character of God and how He relates to His people. You you know what that line of thought is like in your own life, don't you? You wanted to be married. And you've made overtures. You've made yourself available. You've landed dates. And Mr. or Mrs. Wright never showed up. You question why God would give you the desire to be married in the first place. It's not gone away. You wanted to have children. The Lord didn't grant it. You went through medical procedures as best as you knew to do to be able to have children. Even the challenges of adoption have proven to be too much. And now you just think, well, I'm too, I'm too old. It's not going to happen. This part of my life is never going to come to fruition. Is, is God, well, is He limited in some way as it relates to me? Is His power somehow lacking? Or, or maybe it's not His power. Maybe it's just that He, well, He just doesn't care enough to do it for me in the way that He's done it for others. Maybe He at one point in time cared for me, but maybe, well, there was that thing I did 25 years ago, and now it just feels, I think he's changed his mind about me. Or, or maybe it's even more sinister. Maybe, maybe you even have the thought like I have thought, God, are you against me here? Like, are, are, you, are you playing with me? Are you, are you toying with me? Like you, you show me reasons to hope, you give me little good reports, I go down the line only for you to lead me to like, you know, jinx, it's a dead end. Are you just toying with me? Are you really just against me? Is there something of a, almost a kind of malevolence down underneath? Now I know you wouldn't, I know you don't reveal yourself that way in the word, but I just can't help after years and years and years wondering, are you really for me? These were the kind of doubts and Conclusions that were beginning to appear in the hearts and the lives of these beleaguered Jewish Christians. And we see James here in this text. Will you see what he does there in verse 16? He steps in. He steps in and notice what he says. He says, do not be deceived. Don't don't draw the wrong conclusions. Yes, things are, are difficult. But don't add to the difficulty by looking at it and interpreting it in such a way as to think God is not there. As if He doesn't care. As if He's not powerful for you. These things aren't happening for those reasons. No, these these sufferings 
They're God's gifts to you. These sufferings, as hard as it may seem, and as difficult as it may sound to your ears, these gifts, well, are blessings in disguise. Blessings for the Lord to accomplish His purposes in you. His aims in and through you. His glory and His grace overwhelming you. Notice how James says, I don't want you to read through your experience. I want you to go to the Word and I want you to understand what God has said and who He is. I want you to see, verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Everything that comes from the Father's hand to His children are good gifts. The word there for good literally means morally good, spiritually good. Like there's no way to categorize something coming from the Father's hand into your life as being other than good. There's no way. It's morally good. It's not a matter of perspective. No matter what the Father gives, whether we acknowledge it or see it or not, it is good. And we say to ourselves, well, how is that true? Well, he says, I want you to see there's a perfection in the gift. Every good and every perfect gift, he says, comes from this Father. This perfect gift, this perfect gift of suffering, this perfect gift of challenge and difficulty that you've brought into my life, what is... What is it going to do? Well, this idea of perfect is that this gift is intended to complete you. It's intended to perfect you. To make you more in whom it is that the Lord has called you to be. Someone gave me a gift once, an overwhelming gift. It just took my breath away. Do you know those kinds of gifts? Where someone, not because it was a special occasion, not because it was my birthday or, or I had done something in particular that, that in some way was a nice gesture to respond with a gift. No, it was out of nowhere, like a bolt from blue sky, a very nice gift was given to me and I received it. And I, it was one of those kind of gifts that when you receive it, you just go, oh, no, 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 you can't, you can't, no, I can't, I just, I can't receive this gift, this is, a too, this is too much of, of a gift. And, and they, they said, no, it's not too much of a gift. I just wanted to say that I love you. And one of the ways that I know how to say that is by, is by pouring out some resources and giving you something that I know that you would love and just saying that I, that I love you. And, and you know what I said? You know what I said to them? I said, well, it hit the mark. It hit the mark. Mission accomplished. I know that you love me. This, this, this gift was perfect. It accomplished exactly what you sent it for. God is saying that about the gifts that he's pouring into your lives. All kinds. The one that you would recognize as thankful for. And the one that you would recognize as painful. God comes to say to you and me. That I want you to know that my gifts, all of them, are given to you for a purpose. Now, how can I be sure? Well, James, notice in the text, says, I want you to behold your God. This is how you know. 
You know that his gifts are good and they are perfect. When you really get to know the giver himself. When you get to know who he is. And notice who he is. Verse 17. He is the father of lights. He's the father of lights. Now that's a strange phrase. We actually don't see it anywhere else in the Bible. But let me tell you what it is that James is trying to do. He wants you, and I want you imaginatively even right now, to walk out on a beautiful, clear, winter, middle Tennessee night. There's not a cloud in the sky. The stars are beaming. The moon is out. And I want you to look up at the sky. James says, as you look up at the sky, what do you see? Well, you see, you see the moon in, in one of its phases. And you see the stars, some of them brighter than others, twinkling off in the distance. I want you to know, as you look up at the sky, your Father made all of those lights. He made every single one of them. He holds them in place by the word of His power. He sits enthroned above those lights at the third heaven between the cherubim. He sits there and He does whatever it is that He pleases. He sits above the circle of the earth and it says that he stretches out the heavens like a tent. It's like a tent to him. The cosmos is like a tent. The Milky Way is like this tiny part of the tent that he has cast into the heavenly places. He says, I want you to see the Father that brings everything into your life. He is the one who has made all of those lives. You think that he's not powerful enough to bring what it is that you're asking him? I want you to know every gift comes from the Father of those lives. You think that maybe though He's changed His mind about you? Maybe He's turned against you? Impossible. Notice how He describes this Father of lights. In Him, notice verse 17, there is no variation. There is no shadow due to change. You know, when you look at those stars at different parts of the night sky and at different points during the, the seasons of the year, some of those stars are going to be brighter than others. Some of their twinkle is going to be brighter. You're going to see it. You see sometimes when you go out, depending on the moon phase, it's going to be full and bright on a full moon. But then there's nights like last night, right? Where it's barely a sliver. It's a waning little crescent. And, and very little light is given. It's a very dim night. There's all kinds of lights in the heavens that are well, they're variating. Sometimes the moon is bright. Sometimes it's in shadows. He says, I want you to know that the Father who put all of those lights and all of their orbits into space and all of the variety of the twinklings that are given to them and the variety of the ordering of the way in which they're structured, I want you to know that His light, there's no variation and there's no shadow. There's no changing to him. There's nothing hidden malevolently under you don't know that you're going to discover that's going to throw all things into doubt. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is, as the theologians would call it, he is immutable. You never have to worry. Isn't this amazing? Think of, think of having a father like this. Oh, I bet my children wish they had a father like this. You never have to worry 
that dad has had a bad day. And it's, it's you know, don't go telling dad what you need today, right? Dad's, dad's heard all day about people's needs. He's heard all about things. He's come home. He's worn out. Don't ask, don't ask dad for anything today, right? Some of us know fathers like that, right? Oh, we all get on days, right, where it's like, yeah, don't ask me for that today. I'm not, a, I'm not in the mood for that today. Do, do you know what James is saying? James is saying you have a heavenly father who has no mood changes. There's never a day where you can't ask him for something where his attention and his affection are not wholly set on you. That he won't give to you every good and perfect gift, exactly what you need. Now, it doesn't mean he's a good father. So it doesn't mean that when you ask, when you ask for Skittles at dinner, that he's going to give those to you. He's not going to give those to you. You know why he's not going to give those to you? Because he loves you. Because he's a good father. And he gives good gifts. Not every gift you ask for, but the perfect gifts that you need. Those are the gifts that he gives you. James is saying, I want you to know as you, as you are covered in this sort of doubt of darkness, I want you to know that the Father of lights and all of his never-failing brightness is at your disposal. And can you imagine? Here they are. I mean, sometimes, sometimes the bad things that come into our life are the consequences of the foolish decisions that we've made. Amen? Right? Sometimes we look back, we go, I can't believe the Lord didn't help me. These things happened in my life. And you sort of, you're sort of like, you know, kind of, hey, do you see the path you took here? Like, yeah, you, you got here because you took one step at a time, right? You're just reaping the consequences of what's there. That's actually not even the context of the Jewish Christians who are here. Why is it that they've lost their homes? Why is it that they're under oppression? Why is it that they're dealing with persecution? Because they're following Christ. You know, we oftentimes, right, have the idea that as long as we do what is right, things are going to go pretty well for us. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not in the sense that we imagine sometimes we're going to follow the Lord and the wheels are going to fall off of our lives. It's exactly what's happening here in James. So can you imagine these Jewish Christians hearing from James in this letter that the suffering that's given to you, the oppression and the poverty that you're facing, are gifts from the Father. They're custom crafted by the Father for your eternal blessing. Uh, you know, earlier in James chapter 1, James would write these words. He would say, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And when steadfastness has its full effect, you'll be perfect. Same word. Complete. Lacking in nothing. Uh, you know, as Butch and, and Peggy and Joe came to share today, physical maladies, losses and griefs, the recognitions of sufferings and difficulties in their lives, each and every one of them would say, I would want to go back through it. But man, I wouldn't trade what I got through it for the world. 
I wouldn't trade what the Lord did in me. And it's doing through me for the world. They're saying it was perfect, you see. It, it hit the mark. It accomplished exactly what the Lord intended. There's this lovely question in the Heidelberg Catechism, question 26, it reads this way. I trust God so much that I do not doubt that he will provide for whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is an almighty God and he desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Great is thy faithfulness, O my God. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Now listen, the recognition of the kindness of God in this doesn't necessarily change the difficulty of the moment, does it? But you will begin with this perspective, won't you? To carry that difficulty a good bit lighter. With even a good bit more joy. With a good bit more sense of steadfastness. Having its full effect within you. You know, that's the fruit of, well, that Alexander Sultan needs an experience, didn't he? When he, under the reign of Joseph Stalin in that terrible gulag, would write these words. When I laid on the rotting prison straw, I sensed within myself the stirrings of something good. Gradually it was disclosed to me that the lines separating good and evil passed not through states or classes or between political parties, but right through the human heart. That is why I can turn back after all these years and consider my imprisonment and say to my astonishment, bless you prison. I have served enough time there. I had my soul nourished there. I can say without hesitation, bless you prison for having been in my life. Or William Cooper, the poet and hymn writer of the 1700s who struggled deeply with depression like some of us here in this room who finally on one dark night decided he would give it all up he was going to commit suicide he called a cab to take him to the river Thames, where he would throw himself off a bridge and drown and yet on the way the cab encountered the thickest fog that the cab rider and Cooper himself had ever seen and the fog was so thick that the cab rider had to turn around and take Cooper all the way back to his doorstep where God in his graciousness brought him back to his senses that night. And Cooper would later write these words. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. 
The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter. He will make it plain. Do you see, when you live by the light of God's love and by his power, you begin to see that his perfect gifts, well, they come, well, they come not on a wish list, do they? You'll never ask for them. Oh, but they're perfect. And when you receive them, if you receive them as they're intended, you will find that the most precious gifts are buried in those darkest tragedies. How do I know this? Well, James tells us, doesn't he? In James 1.18, he says, Of his own will, he brought us forth. We were born. We were born again of the will of God. How? By the word of truth. Well, what is the word of truth? Oh, you guessed it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is a message that says that God gave His only begotten Son a gift. Who would go through unfathomable sufferings, oppressions, poverties, sufferings, and pains, and would do so not because he deserved it, but would do so for us because we deserved it. He would go through the darkest tragedy that this world has ever seen or will ever see. And from within that tragedy will come the greatest treasure that this world has ever seen and will ever see. The reality of the salvation of the world itself. Do you see, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we recognize that the God in Christ who suffered in the darkest of tragedies, has brought forth the most beautiful and riches of treasures. And he has done so. Why? So that you and me will be born again. Born again to a living hope. We're living hope with a fullness of an inheritance that will never die even when we die. We'll live on for eternity in the presence of Christ with the anticipation of the day where we are with him forever in the new heavens, in the new earth. Listen, when we come to a Thanksgiving Sunday, you know what we come to? We come to give thanks for the sufferings of our lives. Not just this, because we know that the suffering of the life of Christ is the reason We have the greatest joy right here in our lives today and forever. By God's grace, through the suffering of Christ, his joy and peace will be ours in the midst of our ongoing sufferings.
trials, and tumults until the day when we say with the Apostle Paul, I don't consider the sufferings of this life worthy to be compared to the glory that has been won for me in Christ Jesus. These momentary light afflictions, oh yes, these are preparing for me an eternal weight of glory. May God this year and every year after burn away the dross and refine the gold. Prepare us for the eternal weight of glory, for the day when suffering is no more and thanksgivings never cease. Oh, Father in heaven, we would pray for that day to break in upon this day and cause us to rejoice no matter what our plight today in suffering and in difficulty, in loss and in strain, in relationship fracture, in the hidden and secret places of our lives where loneliness and addiction and illness have taken hold. In these areas we pray, Lord, that you would give to us this day hope that the struggle will not be forever. That even the sins of our lives in your hands won't be able to turn us towards the darkness that they strive to do so. But indeed your light will conquer them. Your power will overwhelm them that the loosened strain of those sins will come and they will be with us no more. Oh, we long for that day. And we pray that this day would have something of that future day about it. That the aroma of our lives full of thanksgiving, yes, even for those sufferings, we'll receive from your hand and say, we know this is good. We know that you have a bright design. Work within us your sovereign will. Lord, meet us on this Thanksgiving Sunday and grow us as a congregation after your likeness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.